Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, directed by James Gunn and released in 2017. The plot goes something like this. The Guardians work to unravel the mystery of Peter Quill's father. And at this point, we will sound our usual spoiler warning. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is either in cinemas or not out yet. So if you haven't seen it yet and you are looking forward to it, come back after you have and listen to this episode. Yeah, so we saw Guardians of the Galaxy this week, came out this week in Australia. It isn't out yet in America. I think it's like the 5th of May or something. But yeah, it's like it's pretty much what I expected from a Guardians pretty of the Galaxy much sequel. Me too. Yeah, and there was all kinds of stupid press around. Oh, this got the highest ever test score from Marvel's test audiences, and I was like, mm-hmm, I do not believe that because I'm among the people who, like, the last one, people seemed a lot of people seemed to kind of love it. I liked it. It was fun. It was fine, and I expected more of the same from this, and that's pretty much what I got. I, I would believe that it got the best test score, actually, because there's nothing in this that's at all, like, you know, offensive or anything. It's fun. It's mm. it's exciting. There's lots of action. There's lots of things blowing up. Like, I can mm. see that this there's not a lot of drama in it. It's yeah. not like, you know, there's not a lot to think about in it, really. And the, the story um, is complex enough to kind of keep you interested. My husband and I tried to recite the story this morning because I went, I've forgotten what it's about. <laughs> and it was almost like we were doing our own personal episode of how did this get made? Because when you actually recite the story out and you think about all the different permutations that happen, it sounds really stupid, but well, it's complicated it's, enough to kind of, it, I actually think it does better in storytelling than the last so one. So do I, because I think it goes further with the concept. Mm. Um, in this one, they actually do the concept that Peter's dad is a planet Mm. And they do it well. Yeah. And that's what I was looking for from the first one, to be honest. Like, because you've got, like, talking trees and, you know, raccoons and stuff. And it was the most boring, like, white guy finds himself in his family story ever. And it was really frustrating for me. And so this one, I was glad that it went in different directions so that there was a lot more of, like, Gamora and Nebula, um, stuff like that I, I enjoyed. Uh, I thought Mantis was about the cutest thing that I've ever seen and I loved her. She was gorgeous. And I, I actually love that it went a lot heavier on the relationship side this time as well. I yeah. thought that was much better. Um, her relationship with Drax was one of the highlights of the movie. Mm, it was um, very cute. I thought the pacing was all over the place. Um, mm. This is a very sequely problem. Mm. <laughs> like the pacing has sequel problems in that it opens with that big action scene and then there's a lot of nothing happening. Like there's mm. a lot of when you're on Ego's planet, Kurt Russell's planet, there's a lot of just drama and not a lot of action and not a lot is happening there. Mm. And then they keep cutting away to places where there's a lot going on, like with Groot and um, Rack Rocket there's a lot more mm. going on. And then with Yondu as well. Like we follow Yondu yep. for a really long time before he intersects with our heroes. Um, and also I have to say the most distracting thing in this movie is the fact that Sylvester Stallone plays a role in yep. this movie. And he's like as a character. And he's on screen for like three minutes as well. Has two very small and what I'm assuming that they he's basically gonna replace the Yondu character and He'll become. I don't know because I. Think he'll come that, have a part in Infinity War, but it was very distracting. Ving Rhames as well. It also plays a similar role for about two minutes as well. Yeah, even less than that. Because what happens is at the end of the movie they build a team that's like some sort of comic book. I, I looked this up, but I can't remember it now. There's some sort of comic book team mm. that's built that can that's comprised of Sylvester Stallone, Michelle Yeoh. Um, Ving Rhames and a computer voiced by Miley Cyrus. Yeah, there was uh, Michelle Yeoh was another one who was distracting to me because 
in, in it for such tiny, tiny moments. And they have a name and they do talk about it at the end of the movie, but I've forgotten that as well. Yeah. So, and it just, yeah, it's it one of weird. the post credit sequences, I think. Yes. That they all get together. Mm. Um, but that is a very distracting cast to put together for oh. a minor, minor role in this. Also, did you see Jeff Goldblum in the credits doing yes, like a little dancing? dancing? <laughs> yes, I did. I spotted that. I was like, oh my God, that's the tiny little nod to Thor because there are about five post credit sequences in this movie and all of them relate to this movie. Well, I thought one of them, I thought not one of those, but when, you know, when they're going past all of the planets mm. um, to jump to Ego's planet, mm-hmm. I think they went past planets, planet um, Hulk. Oh, that would I make think. sense. Yeah. But I'm not totally sure because it was really quick and I forgot to look I, it up. I but like there were two sure they did. big Hulk looking things battling mm. each other on a planet. I thought maybe that had, that they had gone past planet Hulk. A lot of people were talking about it in relation to Thor. Mm. So I thought that might be it. Yeah. Uh, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I did wonder that when they went past as well. So I, I think that probably is a reference to that. I'm starting to feel already like this franchise is overstuffed with characters. Mm-hmm. Um, adding in Yondu and Nebula for this one and then giving them more time than like Rocket and Groot mm. was kind of a problem. Toddler Groot is adorable, by mm-hmm. the way, just the cutest thing ever, but doesn't get a lot to do in terms of the story like he did last time. Yeah. Um, and also Rocket Teenager and- Groot was my favorite thing. That was hilarious. But And Rocket and Groot are there are a lot of people's sort of favourites as well. They're mm. very much fan favourites and they're definitely kid favourites because kids love these movies and they yep. love Rocket and Groot. And it was uh, an interesting choice to kind of back their role off a bit in favour of all of the other stuff that was right. going Rocket on. Rocket kind of gets a little bit of a thing where like he and Yondu connect, mm. but there's less of them, I think, mm. um, especially of Groot. Um, yeah. Baby and- Groot doesn't get as much to do because how do you incorporate a toddler into the action yeah that's right except for those couple of you know places where he can he's still got some of his old skills or rather he's, he's developing the skills that he had with in terms of when he helps him escape from prison and although stuff. the very very extended sequence where he can't find the thing the, the fin yeah <laughs> that made me laugh because it went on so long mm. um and it, then fine because the thing is it pays off really well at the very end of it because yeah. finally he gets to the drawer right and he finally opens the right drawer and he looks in it and he gets a sense of wonder on his face and he picks up the wrong thing and you're like this is the best yeah no it, it was a good game it does go on a bit um but that makes sense for the this group of like it's if it's, the rest of the movie hadn't gone on quite so long it would have played it, yeah. it plays really well because it gets past the point of being like it's funny and then it isn't and then it's funny again because it yeah, goes yeah. on so well, long because i've been re-watching um parks and recreation at the moment which is an interesting counterpoint and um that group of comedians the amy poller lewis ck tina fey generation they're very into that those jokes that go on too long that they stop being funny and then start being funny again yeah um judd apatow that whole gen x lot of comedians who dominate most comedy at the moment so it's almost fit that james gunn would have a joke like that in this movie yeah and also um sean gunn gets a lot bigger role in this Mm -hmm. movie uh like ever but the thing is i can't i i just call him kirk in my head whenever i'm watching him And he, the character is so much like Kirk. It's like Kirk went to space well, it's, and it's was like, still Kirk. Yeah, it's very much the same role that he plays in Gilmore Girls. So it's adorable, though. He's adorable. Yeah, he does it really well. Mm. But, like, I was just watching Kirk in space as far as I was concerned. Yeah, he was – I mean, he's leaning into what he knows best, I guess. See, I thought – I think he's going to be more of, like, a Yondu-type character next time. I, yeah, I also yeah. think that Yondu is a strange choice. It's It feels strange all the way through the movie to have Yondu in it. And, that, and when – he dies at the end i was like oh that's why they have him in this mm. they it feels very much like he was written into it 
to die at the end to prove a point to Peter. Mm -hmm. Like the rest of the movie, I was like, why are we still following him? And also that scene where he kills everybody on his pirate ship is so intense. Mm. Like that's a lot of murder. (laughs) And a lot of murder of people, like I get that they've mutinied against you, but like – these are all these people, are people that he knows. You, yeah, there's a, these are people he's close to. He has lived every day with for the last 20-odd years. And they do a lot of stuff where, like, he gives up all of that for Peter, mm-hmm. which seems really like they're trying to sell the connection between Yondu and Peter, which didn't sell well in the last one. Yeah. But at the same time, you're like, really? He's going to kill everybody else that he knows? That's a lot. It's mm. <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. The taser face joke was funny, though. Yes, again, another one that kind of goes on a bit too much, but then is kind, of, but pays off later. Yeah, and um, I mean, and the the one with Groot not being able to find the correct fin also pays off later in the um, nuclear bombs. Scene. Right, exactly. It's actually it's it's plot relevant. It's mm. a, um, which is great. They do a lot of stuff that is set up for later, like plot relevant things in jokes and action, which is a really good way of doing it. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think was my biggest issue with this movie is that I think. Because it's such a sarcastic, snarky, insincere kind of a world, jokey world, the anything that's supposed to be emotional doesn't quite pay off. It comes across as too schmaltzy because everything else is so snarky. And like it's almost like James Gunn quite, can't quite sell genuine emotions. Mm, the sincerity. The sincerity. Um, I, I thought it was more sincere when like Rocket was like getting things out of Groot's mouth that he shouldn't eat and things like that was more sincere little moments than like the like peter playing catch with his dad was one of the worst scenes in this and that's kurt Mm. russell (laughs) yeah so and he's good and uh, i think um zoe saldana does quite a good job of trying to sell that but she's for most of her heavy emotional stuff she's paired with karen gillan who is not as good an actress oh no she was not good in this Um, i was really really shocked at how not good she was i thought of it in the first one as well i yeah but in the first one she barely gets anything to do she just growls and i i think it's just like she's out of accent, I think that's probably a factor. I do too. Um, I, I gen- and trying genuinely, to hold that low growling voice through the yeah. whole, like trying to hold that voice through emotional scenes, it, it really didn't work. Hard. It's right? really hard, and because like, I mean, she's, she's carried so a TV show for like four years or whatever, so we know she's not a and bad actor. Yeah, multiple TV shows as the lead through multiple seasons, so we know selfie she's was great. not a bad actor, but. With the different accent, the different voice, and all that makeup and costume, she's just not as good. And Zoe Saldana is really selling, but it's she's, Karen Gillan's not um, up to the task of doing it. No. And the other emotional thing that they try, they try again to sell Peter and Gamora, and there's not chemistry between no. the actors. Like they just, I, I, <laughs> there just isn't. No, they come across across kind of like buddies, yeah, brother like and friends. sister, or like they're really not. The, the chemistry's not there and they keep trying to make it happen. It almost feels they like They have to tell us that it's yeah, there. But it almost feels like it's a joke. Yeah. Again, like this is the pro- – but it feels like it's kind of a joke between them. Like they're joke flirt- – he's joke flirting mm. with her rather yeah. than that it's a real flirting yeah, thing. Yeah, and especially in contrast with um, when you've got um, Drax and – what's the emp- empath called? Mantis. Mantis, who genuinely seem like they might be falling for one another? No, no, no. Yeah, they no, do. I didn't get that at all. I was like, oh no, I'm glad they're going for like a father daughter thing here rather than a romantic thing because ah. that would be a really creepy age difference grossness. Well, so yeah, so this is why I you, so when I, whenever I think through to things that are a little bit not quite right, it's 
because they they do have really good chemistry. And I, I thought they, they were going good- for a relation like that. Those two have great chemistry yeah. together. And you see the okay, mate. I'm I'm willing to leave it open to debate as to whether a relationship, friendship, father daughter, whatever. But that you see the relationship build between them. You see them. Yeah. But you I know, I didn't. I mean, they 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 push really hard that they're not attracted to each other though. Like really hard. They tell us. It's, I mean, I I don't think reading. In, I just reading assumed past that, that was sarcasm. I didn't. Uh, well, Drax can't do sarcasm. Remember? No, I know he can't. But it also seemed like he was learning how to prank and how to like say the opposite thing than you mean. Oh, like no, that's, I didn't. That's get how that. I took all that. I thought was like. And she specifically says to him that like you're not even my type, which. Like a lot of people have read is that she's a lesbian, but like they're, they're very specific in telling us oh. they are, and she can't really lie either. No. Well, she can, she hides things, but like she's not well. Yeah. Yeah. She's empathic and he, he's like brutally honest. And so I don't mm. think that they, I think they were going for like that relationship. The way that that builds is a, is a like more like she's replacing his kid rather yeah. than she's replacing his wife. Oh, okay. I can, I can work with that. I, I'm, I'm not going to argue on that. But the way that builds organically, the chemistry between the actors, the way that it is shown, the way that it is, it, you feel it. Yeah. Is in very stark contrast to Gamora and Quill, who mm. are like, they keep having to tell us that this is a thing. Yeah, that, again, yeah, to me it felt like they were joking. Like it wasn't until mm. the end of the movie when she's like, oh, it's an unspoken thing. And I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, it's so unspoken that, <laughs> that we <laughs> we've missed it, it entirely. Although yeah. you, the bit where you've talked about people interpreting um, her as being a lesbian, not Gamora, um, Mantis. Mantis as being a lesbian, it just reminded me of some stupid press that James Gunn <laughs> yeah, I saw that. said about how, watch the movie, you'll see, we have LGBT char- LGBTI characters. In no, them. he doesn't say that. He said, watch the movie and decide for yourself yeah, if we have them. It, look, it's a bit like when we watched Beauty and the Beast. It is so subtle, it'll, you won't even see it. No, he, they didn't write any gay characters into this. Beauty and the Beast, they wrote a gay character into. Mm. Um, it's it's still not overt, but they I yeah, mean, they th- meant this, for this is to not, be gay. Like, it's not even they don't they're not little, trying to make no. anybody gay in this. He was just like, but but there's also the fact that like apart from Drax having been married to a woman and the very spoken thing between Peter and Gamora. There's no romantic relationships between mm. most of the characters. No. So he was just saying, oh, they could all be gay, which is silly. Yeah, which is uh, – it's just kind of stupid and it seems dumb. Um, look, I get that press junkets are long and that you say stupid things because Chris Pratt's been saying stupid things too. But like – Right, because they keep – and they keep but, getting asked about this representation thing yeah. that they largely and don't, they don't have any control over. And they don't know about it. it it's – yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I get that it was a stupid thing, but you just reminded me of it when you said that. Mm. <laughs> it, it was silly, but I don't yeah. – I don't really, uh, yeah, I don't really care. Like, it was silly, but it wasn't, I think that the interpretation of it was, like, different to mm. what he was clearly meaning in the moment, which yeah. is just like. Yeah, and it's, oh, and, and I, and I, like, it's I silly. feel it's for not them. representation. Like, go, press tours are hard. They're yeah. really hard and you're on the spot and you say things and you forget what you've said later and then somebody writes it down and it looks very different to what you actually said in the moment. Or meant in the moment. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It, it is like I think we need to just sort of back off on. I know. No, I just it just reminded me, and I was I'd forgotten about it entirely until you brought that up. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's also a scene when Kurt Russell takes them to his planet and get, shows them like, um, what are they called when you're in high? Oh, diorama 
like show oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. where he takes them through all these dioramas that he's built. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh God, this is so exposition-y. And I feel like if they devoted more time to one storyline instead of breaking it up so much, they wouldn't have had to like exposition quite so hard. Yeah. And then it would have been run a bit tighter, but And it would yeah. have run a bit tighter and it would have been wouldn't have it been is, quite so distracting. Is... Because that comes back later as well. Oh that was another thing. I don't think he needed to have killed Peter's mother. I thought, like, I actually thought it would have been an accident mm. because she was exposed to him all the time and, like, the yeah. brain tumour was, like, an accidental kind of yeah. subsequ- uh, consequence, consequence yep. of her being exposed to a spaceman. Yep. I actually thought that in the first movie. I was like, oh, she's probably dying because yeah. she, like, had sex with a spaceman. And oh, yeah, no, that actually that makes perfect sense. That would make more sense to me. I don't really think I – th- I feel like that was so unnecessary to his villain plot that he, like, purposefully killed Peter's mother. Well, because he was already bad enough. Exactly. He's already bad enough. And the the thing about him is that he's bad enough, but, like, at least you get where he's coming from most, for most yeah. of it, right? He's, like, this ancient god. He's Kurt Russell, so he's cool. Yeah. But, like, he can't connect with anybody. Mm. And that's that's understandable but also like he's evil as a result of that and peter has to stop him mm. but i thought it would have been more emotional and more interesting if it hadn't if they hadn't made him quite so unnecessarily like evil evil by purposefully killing the mother mm. like all the people that he killed were not really on purpose they were just in the way of his plan and i think she should have been the same yeah i think it should have just been oh i realized that i was like i came back three times to visit her he says that even mm. so he says i came back three times to visit her i'm like oh now he's going to reveal that it was because he kept coming back and he gave her the tumor yeah like it was an accident from the exposure to him mm-hmm. and then he's like i put the tumor in her brain and i was like come on really that was so unnecessary to me. And yeah. that's that I, – th- I just think James Gunn likes subtlety. Yeah, because it, it's a very clear signal to the audience and then Peter's like punching and, you know, he gets really, really mad and, you know, yeah. I – yeah. I think uh, – yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think it wasn't – you. he could have just said, um, oh, and she died because I was always around her. And oh, he could have even known that she was getting the brain tumour and then known, gone back to see her again. Known that most of the – beings that he connected with on other worlds ended up dying yeah exactly you know, that's pretty easy to do especially exactly. when you visited like thousands and thousands of different planets it also wouldn't be all that weird that ha- having mated with a god that people die yeah exactly like having that- been in his presence or having to give birth to one of his weird babies i mean obviously you couldn't make that the case with laura haddock's character because she has to um peter quill needs the 10 years on earth to kind of give him yeah. that background but but, but yeah. it's a brain tumor so it could have grown slowly over a long period mm-hmm. of time really like it, it really could have just been an exposure to him and it would have been i mm. think it would have still had the same emotional resonance especially if he knew that she was dying but he went back to see her anyway yeah um i think that still could have had the same emotional resonance or more emotional resonance because it would mean that his dad wasn't like purposefully trying to mm. piss him off but he did it anyway um, and it would be more interesting to me. <laughs> Although I did really like the moment. It felt like a very Firefly moment, actually, when he's when Peter's like, of course I have issues, that's my dad. And it's like the <laughs> monster version. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that's what these movies are really good at, that humour stuff. Like, but the that's gags like, are great. That one's like dark but also emotional yeah. humour. And I think when they do that, it's really good. I think they just need to pull back from the schmaltziness a little bit and play it as like, that kind of like harder hitting kind mm, of thing. But yeah. it is – these movies are so kid-friendly. It almost feels like a movie for kids. And that would explain the oversimplicity of like I gave her a brain tumour and 
um, yondus. Oh, I don't control it with my head. I control it with my heart. Oh yeah, I kind like of that stuff. Either. Yeah, that's the stuff. <laughs> that's that. That's where it gets too schmaltzy. Yeah. When Yondu dies, that scene was great. I didn't even care about Yondu, but man, Chris Pratt just acted the hell out of that scene. I've been hard on Chris Pratt before, but I thought he was great in this. Well, I think also the guy playing Yondu acted the heck out of that scene. I can't remember. Yeah, his Michael name. Rooker. Michael Rooker. Um, he is really. I I really feel sorry for him that he's been killed off at the end of this one because he. Um, even through the first one as well, he is really good in that role. He is really good in that role. It's just that Yondu as a character is hard. Like mm. even when he's like becoming more sympathetic, you're like, yeah, but you're still kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's not a lot there that is all that redeemable. Yeah. Even um, when you find out why he did it, I'm still like, yeah, but you were still kind of a jerk. Yeah. Like I, he I'd kept like- joking about eating Peter and Peter – thought he was serious yeah that's and bad that's, parents that's ter- he's terrible and that's why he's kind of one of my one of the bits i like about because it is complicated and it it does go to the complicated way that relationships operate in families it's not kid friendly it's not it, it kind of appeals to me as like an adult watching to kind of see that complexity in some somebody you know you know is terrible but you, there's still love there. There's still family there. I think that's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of the point of these movies, I suppose. Yeah, but I, 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 I thought that, that was more interesting with Gamora and Nebula because, like, you really see Nebula's point of view when she starts talking about what happened to her because mm. of Gamora. But of course, Gamora was also a kid and was trying not to die. No, but Nebula's not going to see it that way. That was more interesting yeah. to me than yeah. the because Yondu was just an adult who was, and you know how I feel about child abuse. I know. So really, it was just an adult who was abusing a kid. And thought he was being funny. Yeah. No, so I, I think that was where I'm coming from with Yondu, where I'm like, but I didn't really like him because he was really abusing. Yeah. W- whereas I'm coming from a background of actually being a kid who had an abusive parent and dealing with kind and dealing with that, like especially towards the end of their life, the way that plays out and the mm. complicated feelings that you hold all at once in your head. So that obviously appeals to me a bit more. Yeah, I yeah. It's just like then they make you try, they try so hard to make you like Yondu. Mm-hmm. I think is the thing. Like they're trying so hard to make you like Yondu. Like just retcon everything that he did uh. as not being as terrible as it seemed. And I'm like, no, he was still pretty terrible. You can't just retcon that all out of our systems. We remember. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is, like, part of the reason they did that in this movie is because Michael Rooker was so good in the first one. They wanted him back yeah. because he did such a good job. And he did. He was really, like, charming and funny and, and he had all that charisma but also, like, creepy. He did a great job. Plus, mm. Yondu was a really cool-looking character. Yeah. And, I mean, to be fair, he was in it slightly longer than Stallone and Rames and all the rest of them. But he did a better job than they did in this one. Well, yeah, but Sylvester Stallone's not acting in this movie. That's why it's so distracting. Yeah. Oh, but the one of the best parts of this movie is that three-second David Hasselhoff cameo. So, so good. So good. perfectly placed. Absolutely perfect. And Hasselhoff earned his money there. That was so funny. I loved it. And then they had a song by him in the credits. Mm-hmm. And, like, I loved all the, how genuine Peter was in his admiration for David Hasselhoff when everybody in the audience is just laughing at him for it. It was so well, good. Well, I think... What's the name? What's the name that Gamora calls him? Like something Hasselbrow? (laughs) I don't remember, but she cut, yeah. Franz Hasselbrow or something. (laughs) That's so great when he's trying to figure out what she's talking about. Mm. I loved that. I want more of just Gamora and Peter Quill talking about Earth. Yeah, yeah. Gamora and Drax trying to remember Earth names for things. You could have like an entire 10 minute gag on that. I actually also really liked the, um, the gold. Bad guys, what are they called? Oh, the Elizabeth Debicki people. I think they're called the Sovereign. Right, the Sovereign. Um, I liked oh. how they weren't 
like they were basically just snobby gamers. Mm. Yeah. And Elizabeth Debicki is so good, man. She's so good. She always sells everything that she's doing. Oh, how good was the scene where she fronts up at the bar where yeah. Yondu and Sylvester Stallone are fighting and she has like minions who carry her red carpet <laughs> and the carpet gets stuck and it doesn't move. And this, just the beautiful micro expressions of disgust on her face yeah. are just perfect. She's so good for that role, but she's also so like, she's so good because she's so um, gorgeous and willowy and skinny and tall, mm. but really understands comedy. Yeah. And she did the same thing when she was in Man from Uncle, actually. She has these perfect comedic moments of being the villain mm. where she just gets it really well. I really like her. Yeah, and she was really good. She sold that whole thing. Also, Ben Browder was in that, which yes! made me. Oh, J- Jelly leans over to me. It's Ben Browder from Stargate. <laughs> Jelly did the same thing. And I was like, <laughs> I know. I was like, yes. Oh my God. But that brings me to my biggest comparison with, with this one that I think that it did finally did better, which is it's more like Farscape. It's more like Farscape. Oh, um, oh, that is high praise coming from you. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I do quite like – I like the first few seasons of Farscape. Um, but, yeah, Farscape drops you into this crazy, like, alien world, right? And you just have to kind of, like, hit the ground running and keep up. And the problem with Guardians of the Galaxy was that it took this cool concept, kind of like the Deadpool movie, um, took a cool, like, you know, different sort of thing that they were trying to do – and put the most boring generic plot onto it, um, which is not something that Farscape ever did. And then this one finally did more with the cool, weird alien stuff that they had in it. And that's why it's so much better, I think, mm. than the first one was. I don't think the music, music is as good. It's really not. There's a uh, couple that the, are. Yeah. The, Brandy. Some, yeah, Brandy's fine, but none of these are Brandy as memorable. Brandy is great because it's plot relevant. Yeah, but none of the songs are as... Um, as known, well known as in the first one. The first one had, had was like a really well known mixtape. It's got like the Jackson Five and it had um, uh, the Uga Chugga song. I can't remember what that is, but Hooked on a Feeling and all that. The songs people know. Blue These Swede. ones were less. Yeah. Sweet. Blue Swede. Yeah. Um, cher- the Cherry. Cherry Bomb. Cherry Bomb. Um, better known. Actually, at least well, to me. But the, but these ones, yeah, not not quite as good, but. I think they used particularly Brandy a lot better. I just thought Father and Son was way overdone at the end as well. Yeah. That really annoyed me. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, like, yeah. Again, of that's the schmaltzy the, thing. Yeah, of all the choices, really, is that the one you're going to go for? It is because, yeah, yeah, that is kind of the the thing of the first movie. Mm. Like, they go for really obvious songs. but and, and also the song that I thought was best in the first one was not a song that was as well known, which is the one that plays over the opening credits. Oh, um, I can't remember come and right get now. your love. Yeah, come and get your love. I thought was the best one, mm-hmm. and this one had Sam Cooke in it. I have the first soundtrack on, yeah, on so my um, phone. So. Um, bring it yeah, on yeah. home to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, was was in this one. As oh, well. yeah, that's. But right. I just didn't think they were quite as well placed or as well used. Mm-hmm. And I had a real, <laughs> real issue. I got really annoyed because there's a moment where they try to put the classic music in the scenes that Peter's not in. Big mistake, and they do it. By go- by Rocket saying to Kirk, um, he says to him, um, do you have co- clones of Peter's music? Mm. And Kirk's like, oh, yeah, I'll go play it. And you're like, yeah, but this is on the, mix- the second mix, not the first one. You wouldn't have the mix of the second one because he never opened that. Uh. So you're wrong. That's a plot hole in the movie. <laughs> That's annoying. I have to go and look up what character Sean Gunn played now because when you Kirk. call him Kirk – it, it makes me think of Captain Kirk, and that actually does genuinely throw How me a bit. How about Space Kirk? Can I call him Space Kirk? Mm. He's called Craglin. 
I'm going to go with Space Cook. Space Cook. <laughs> pirate uh, Cook? Yeah, no, he's great. The, oh, the, the scene where Groot kills all the pirates, or not kills them, but like knocks out all the pirates is great too mm-hmm. when they're advancing all on the Yondu's ship and guys. he blows them up mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. That's yeah, a really well, that, good that's scene. A re- that's, um, it's a classic sort of trope, that one about like the – I don't even know what it's called, but – where like somebody knows some people sneaking up and he knows yeah. they're coming and he's smarter than them and I I like that one. I also like the moment when they're like, "What are you without your toys?" Like the Buffy moment, <laughs> um, and then he like knocks them out. I yeah. like that. Yeah, I like. Rocket. Why aren't any of the pirates girls or women? It's very weird. And then when um, Nebula's on the ship, she's the only girl. Yeah, know. it's really weird. Like it's not like even they don't respect they... her because she's a woman. And then they have a whole ship full of pirate women that's headed by Michelle Yeoh. So why don't they, why aren't there any? Yeah, I don't pirate know. Women Maybe none of the women want to live with men, and so they all go to Michelle Yeoh's ship. I don't know. It seems very strange. Like how have they survived this long with no women? There's also a there's a real representation issue, and and you know Yondu goes to that planet and is sleeping with all the robot, <laughs> um, robot prostitutes. Mm. Um, so there's that. I mean, this movie does better, I think, on representation of women in the first one because of how badly they did by Gamora and Nebula in the first one, especially Gamora. Mm. I mean, really, that first one should have been about equally Gamora and Peter. Even in the second one, she still doesn't get enough to do. She should really be the second lead. Yeah. And it feels almost like Drax is the second lead of this one rather than Gamora. Right? Like, Drax has more screen time. I don't know if he has more screen time, but he, what he does with the screen time that he's got. Like he gets a lot more emotional growth and we see how he's changed from the first one and how he's learned about practical jokes and things like Like he's – a lot more has happened for him. Whereas Gamora's just there to kind of, I don't know, to fight, to deal with her sister. Like she doesn't – we don't see her grow and change in the same way. I love Mantis so much. I was just thinking, sorry. Yeah. Um, but like great. none of them really contribute to the end either. Um, <laughs> I keep making Buffy references, but it reminds me of Buffy. You know in season six – when Willow goes evil, yeah, and really it's only Xander that saves the day, mm-hmm. but they try and give everybody else something to do in the finale, yeah, especially Buffy because she's the main character, and it was all about how she had died and come back to life, but really she doesn't do anything. This movie felt like that. Nobody else is really doing anything except of all people, um, Space Kirk, who is the only other person who actually does anything useful in the finale. Because mm. even Rocket, he, even though he set up the bomb and he has Groot to deliver it. He basically comes back to the ship and he doesn't... Groot is the only other person who does yeah. anything because Groot plants the bomb plant and the presses bomb. the right button. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Right? Like, and, but even then, it's mostly, it's mostly like Peter doing all the work. Yeah. They're not working as a team, really. It's just getting everybody else out of the way so that he can do his thing. Yeah, yeah. It, use his godly powers that he had for all of one movie. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's like they don't really know how to do a movie if it doesn't have, like, the man in the lead yeah that's exactly it that's the problem i mean that's the marvel (laughs) yeah and it kind of sucks because i've been in the in the interim between the two films i've been reading like rocket raccoon comics and stuff and i kind of enjoy the guardians of the comics almost more because they're more sophisticated they're more adult they're more and especially from rocket's perspective because rocket there's so much going on with rocket and in these movies he's often just like the cranky comic relief they get they Give a, do a little bit of into his background and stuff like that, but he's a lot more complex and I kind of have missed that in these. Did you see who played Howard the Duck? I didn't. It's Seth Green. Ah! <laughs> anyway. That's great. Yes, and Howard the Duck actually has lines this time. He, he did last appear. time as well. 
Did he? Oh, okay. I'm ninety percent sure. Is the, oh, is it? I think it's a post-credit scene. He comes out of the thing and he talks. Yeah, he does. You're right. Um, but I, I don't know if it was Seth Green. I, last I've time. also read some of the. Was reading some of the um, How the Duck comics in the interim between these two movies as well, which I also like. And he also has a fair bit in common with Rocket. I'm like, can we bring him into the team? Yeah, <laughs> I'd be well, okay with fun. that. And he and Rocket like clash as mm. well, really well. And they, but they also kind of work well together. I would have liked if they'd paid off on the Peter Rocket. Um, cause that seemed like it was almost going to be the main conflict of the movie at the beginning. And mm. then they were apart for nearly the whole thing. And then they don't really have a reunion scene properly. Yeah. They have a little moment and that's it. And, um, it, it. and cause otherwise it just seems kind of like this stupid pissing contest. Yeah. It really jumps around a lot, this movie, but like where the stuff that does well, it does really well. It looks really good. There's a moment when Gamora is sitting on Ego's planet and it's literally teal and orange oh, across the whole yeah, screen. Yeah, that is a gorgeous shot. I mean, it's obviously because it's in space, it's very heavily on the CG. Like it's pretty much yeah. all CG and I, this is why. I but was, so is the first one and it, yeah. it works well for these movies anyway. Yeah, so it's not- uh, it also like – Chris Pratt looks a bit weird. And yes, yes, I've been watching Parks and Rec went back from before he had his famous makeover. And so he's much less tan and moisturized and all those things. But he kind of looks a bit, I don't know, plasticky mm. in comparison to what I'm used to. And the whole point of Chris Pratt, the whole point I of casting him. I thought before. Is, yeah, the whole point of casting him is that he is that everyman-ish type of guy. Yeah, they have a shirtless and scene of him in the first five minutes. I know. Of the I'm movie. like, oh god, do we have to do this every movie now? Yes, because that's the only reason. F- I mean, I I understand that he has worked really, really hard I, to I get, get those. I, ads. I know, I know. <laughs> like, and and he actually tells us how hard he's worked as yeah. well, um, which is good because I appreciate that because they do they work so hard and like God, the diets. Oh. I know. Horrifying. It's like, it's like if you're going to make him do it, he should yeah. at least get to have I, a shirtless I, scene so he can show off yeah. how hard he worked but, for but it. But the best bit about Chris Pratt is the everymanish quality that he has. And so, so I when actually the, thought he acted the hell out of he, it. He was oh, good. He was at good. At, I'm not, this is nothing on his acting. It's just like his face was too smooth and shiny and brown. Do you think it, they did the thing that they did, that you said they did in, what was the other movie? Oh, oh in, in Charlie's Theron. Yeah. Look, it wouldn't surprise me because they've got to touch up so much stuff in here. It probably- Actually, that's weird because I noticed that Gamora, they didn't do that on because like you mm-hmm. can see some flaws in the makeup. And, and they're actually on Zoe Saldana's Instagram. There's a whole heap of videos of her getting into makeup for Gamora mm-hmm. and it is almost entire, even down to like the eyeliner and the nail polish and everything really a lot of makeup and wigs and stuff yeah so she's it's not there isn't actually a lot of it i think it's just that it, it's that that it's that chris rock line about money is the best moisturizer the best kind of lotion it's like that now that chris pratt is has marvel money and is marvel famous he's much shinier and more tanned and moisturized and things and it just yeah yeah Oh uh, yeah, I was I was going to say I don't think that's the case because there's also a shot of Nebula's hand, uh, Gamora's hand, mm. um, and I was like, is that an old lady hand that's been painted green? Partly because I've watched the Goonies commentary so many times, and they they're oh. like, every anytime you see one of our hands, that's like a four year old woman's hands. But also because it didn't look, it looked really um, bumpy, and I'm not sure if that was because of the makeup or because it actually was somebody else's hand that they painted or like- green. Zoe Saldana is like 38 years old and has a normal amount of aging on her hands? I don't know. No, no, no. It didn't look like a normal – it looked really like uh, like really rough. Oh, okay. Like not like a 38-year-old woman's hand. Like, right. Like old. Right. Um, or, or really bumpy anyway, which huh. I didn't know was because – like you know how you when you put a lot of makeup on somebody, you can see like and, – and then it's in high, high def, you can mm. see like the pores in it or the holes or whatever? Mm. 
I'm I'm not a makeup expert, obviously, but no, like those oh, dents. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, but but makeup is a lot better these days. They can deal with the high. They learned how to deal with the high def. I know, stuff. but it just looked weird. That was oh, okay, weird I shot. missed that one entirely. And I think even in the regular ones, like Nebula's green a lot nail polish. Did you notice Nebula's really shiny? Yeah, and Gamora's not. Yeah. Oh, I suspect there's a lot more CG has to go on Karen Gillan just by nature of various bits. She just was rough in this. Man, she was rough. And, and that's the thing is that, like, the scene where she chases after Nebula on the planet was one of my favourite things in the whole movie. I thought that was so clever and brutal and funny. And I really liked that. When Gamora picks up the giant gun yeah. and oh just starts shooting the Oh, my God, that is so ship, funny. It's so funny, but it's also really brutal. Yeah, and it, it really – it does more to show the relationship than any of their talking scenes. Exactly. Because, and that yeah. brutality works so well because um, they're both women as well, so it makes it even more, mm. like, it makes it seem even more brutal because we don't n- normally get to see something and like this. And it also tells us something about Gamora's character, which we haven't had a lot of. I th- I actually love that in this movie, how, like, they, they kind of play up the casual jokes about killing people a lot more and yeah. how, like, brutal and violent she really is. Yeah. I liked that, that because that's a real, like, that makes her more of a real person. Yeah, that's... That's who she is, and they. I, and this may be one of the reasons why they don't know how to deal with her properly because they're not used to dealing with a female character like this, mm. who is so violent, and like that's how she makes her living, and that's how she survived, and she's had to survive on the hustle and all this kind of stuff. Like, I, yeah. Well, so. and also Thanos just sending her out to kill everybody. Yeah, but yeah, that, that was really fun. Mm. The that scene, and but there is a point like she. <laughs> There's a point at which Star Lord says to her, "You're the one who made me come here," and I'm like, "He has a point." Mm. She turns it around on him, and I'm like, "No, no, he has a point. You did make him come here. At least address that before you talk about how weird it feels here. Yeah. Like you can say, oh, yes, that was before we came here, and it started feeling weird or something.' But she did. She was the one who was like, "Oh, you should get to know your dad." And then she's like, "No, your dad is evil, and he doesn't have any mm. sense of any of the stuff that happened in between." No, there. and she doesn't. This is the problem that she doesn't explain any of it, and it's a communication issue. No, and it also would have shown a bit more of her like we given her background given that she's been an assassin and she's been abused and she's lived this really hard life it would show that she's developed these instincts yeah um and, and then you know she could say well yeah i encourage you to do this because you've been going on about your father for all these months and we finally had the opportunity to find him so why wouldn't i encourage you know there's a, actually a reason there but they just don't go into it Right, yeah. I mean, they had time. They used a lot of that time on other things, like that mm. extended Stan Lee cameo that was unnecessary. Yeah. But, yeah, they, they should have really address, addressed that better. But I did like the moment when she, like, tries to strangle Mantis mm. at the end because I'm like, that's such a Gamora reaction to it. Mm. And I like that I know that about her now. Yeah. Like, that she wouldn't be understanding or anything. And that's why why Mantis didn't tell her in the first place. And I'm really looking forward to expanding on the Gamora and Mantis relationship because the only time Gamora shows any kind of kindness towards Mantis is when she's passed out, which I thought was really, like, mm. you know, yeah. that was very Gamora. Yep, and the, even uh, down to the fact that she won't allow herself to be touched. She is mm. strong. She has strong boundaries and there's good reasons for that. That's how, who she is. But also she didn't want – I mean, it's very no, obvious no. that she didn't want Mantis to know how scared she was. No, no, of course not, but that's that's part of her boundaries. Like, she – is willing to set boundaries and, like, stick to them. Whereas Drax is just like, she exposed your deepest, darkest secrets, do me next. Oh, huge problem with this, by the way. Why do they show that bit with Groot at the end of the movie in the trailer? Like, that ruins all of the suspense from all of the previous scenes. 
Yeah, because, I mean, it is a good scene. I get why. I get that people love Rocket and Groot, but that it comes basically at the height of the climax. It yes. doesn't entirely give the thing away, but it gives a lot away. It, it gives a lot away in the sense that, A, Chris Pratt is there talking to them and not, like, in a suspended, like, with a blue power stabby through him. That's so badly The explained. blue fish hook thing, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Oh, I actually thought they were going to have to reverse time to make this climax works because, work because there's so much going on. There's those big blobby things taking over Missouri and also other planets. Mm. Um, everybody is like buried in things and would already have died by the time that they actually solve the problem. Yeah. Like I thought they were going to reverse time genuinely because I was like, how else are they going to do this? No, those people will have died, the people on yeah. the planets. To me, I'm just like, oh, they're all dead. Yeah, I assume so. But that – they never address that. No, because they want to keep their PG rating. It's a kid's It's movie. almost worse than like Star Wars when they blow up planets and they never address it. Yep. Like they never go. I was like, surely they have to like reverse time to, to nope. fix the problem. Nope. No, they're, they're gone. Then again, there's that scene where the ship crashes and what's the ship's name? It's Oh, the Milano, Milano. crashes through the trees and Gamora's just holding on to Drax through their back and you're like, oh, they're both dead. <laughs> yeah. They're dead. They're dead. Oh, everybody would have been dead in that crash. That yeah. was a really bad crash. That wasn't a bumpy landing. That was a terrible crash. Yeah. Nobody is even mildly hurt. Yeah, there's no way Drax survives any of that. This is the thing. That's what, I mean, these movies are cartoons. Yeah, they are. Um, nobody and, – and, like, the only way Yondu dies is if he actively – I think that's, the, that's yeah. the key is you have to actively sacrifice yourself in order to die. Yep. Groot does it and then Phoenix is himself mm. and then Yondu does it. You have to – like it's a, it's like Fast and the Furious. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but look, unlike Fast and the Furious, at least this is set in space, so you can accept some of that kind of magic stuff. Also, it doesn't fridge anybody in this movie. Well, yeah, I guess. Can we talk about Laura Haddock's accent? Oh, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, she's only in it for like three minutes. But... I know, but it was so intense. That was the opening three minutes too. Yeah. Well, I actually think there's like this interesting side story about Peter Krill's upbringing. Like he's not just. You know, every man, he's like small town American man kind of thing. Well, and how did he get his accent too? Because if he was raised by Laura Haddock, his accent should be much stronger. And single mum country boy stuff. Well, presume, he mean, he left when he was 10. Yeah, but like my accent is very different from when I was 10. I was going to say, yeah, but everybody else around him is like speaking differently. And then I realized, no, they're not. No, they're not. I, I would like, it wouldn't surprise me at all that if when he, once he went into space, his accent flattened out and yeah, neutralized. It doesn't make I sense. Mean, like, but like, it all flattens out into this American accent that everybody speaks yeah. in space. Like, yeah. I've always assumed that he was speaking a different language. I, and then they could all have like, um, you know, the little things in your ear that you have Babblefish. Babblefish. You know, I don't know. Yeah, universal translators like and stuff. Yeah. That's what I I just assumed that they're all, that he learned to speak a different language, like mm. space language, Ish. standard or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh um, God, don't you don't want to dig too deeply. But I mean, <laughs> here I go with my language thing again. But yeah, like obviously Laura Haddock was you know, they it was maybe that was easier for her to have like a stronger accent or something like that. But I, I genuinely I do think there is kind of that undertone of um, detail around who Peter Quill is and where he's come from. Mm. De-aged Kurt Russell in yeah. the car with his hair. I love how big a plot point his hair when he was younger was. Like they did all the <laughs> dioramas and he had the hair. It's like a full like 70s girl blow, like like Goldie Horn style blowout, you know. Mm. I loved it. I really liked Kurt Russell in this yeah, movie. he was good. Um, he was perfect casting. Such perfect casting Oh, my God, perfect casting. Also, how awesome is it that just – 
perfect naming as well. Ego. Ego. Yeah. But I think the thing about it is that he's perfect casting because he does call back to the nostalgia of the 80s. Mm. But at the same time, he's a real actor. Like, he's a good actor. So he Mm. sells the character that he's playing as well as calling back, which is what Sylvester Stallone doesn't do. No. Um, Not at all. Like, And I liked him in Rocky. I sometimes like Sylvester Stallone. He was great in Creed. Oh, that's what I meant. Um, I meant but, Creed, but in this one, he's not even trying. Yeah, he's, he's he was doing, only there for like a day. He's doing a Sylvester Stallone cameo. Yes, he's not even trying, and that's that's just too distracting. Cause, yeah, like, and, and so like, this is why I've had this worry that they're going to make him a bigger part of Infinity Wars. Well, he, but he might be better if he's actually like there for longer. Mind you, literally and everybody's in Infinity Wars. <laughs> like every actor who's ever even like had a meeting at Marvel is in Infinity Wars. But yeah, that that was still really distracting. Right. Okay. Why is he so big too? He reigns. Yeah, how he is. No, he isn't. He's like unnaturally big. I'm positive. No, he's on the same steroids as Chris Pratt. I don't know. No, 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 no. He, they make him bigger, like a giant. Oh, I don't know. I'm uh, presumably that's a comic character. He's meant to be something. Yes, but like um, they don't go into any of that stuff, so it's just weird to have this really, really big Ving Rhames. <laughs> like, guys, it's Ving Rhames. It's really, really Ving Rhames. Look how big he is. Kind of distracting. Yeah. And it kind of takes away – that's the – yeah, it's that kind of problem with the, the emotional moments because it takes away from this big emotional moment of Yondu's funeral to see cameos from these actors where you're like, yep. is that Ving Rhames? Is that Michelle Yeoh? Yep. Because, and especially with Ving Rhames and Michelle Yeoh because you see them for like two seconds and I was like, I think that's Ving Rhames. I think that's yes. Michelle Yeoh, but you don't, it's not long enough to kind of confirm it. Yeah, and then you're like, why were they in it? You're not thinking about yeah. the emotions why is in the moment someone anymore. so famous? Why do, these guys are way more famous than the two-minute cameo. Right, why exactly. Why are they here? So yeah, there's there's <laughs> anyway. I, I like love that we credits. finished the way we started. Yeah, and the the I like the credits too, and the way they weave the post credits scenes, of which there are, as I said, like five into the credits was I actually thought that was quite well done. Yeah, nobody left the cinema. They were fun. Yeah, nobody does anymore. I don't think. No, we've been to so many Marvel movies where people left the cinema. But anyway, so I, many. But a couple of people left in ours. But they, but like whatever, that's their problem. But I thought they were woven in really well together. And yet, like adolescent Groot is <laughs> teenage Groot was so funniest. funny. That was really really funny to me. Um, Especially as it's Quill who deals with him. Yeah. Because Peter Quill, like that's another part of Peter Quill is the overgrown adolescent thing. Yeah. And watching overgrown adolescent Peter Quill have to deal with actual adolescents. And it's such a boring trope too. I was actually talking to somebody about that trope recently, and they were comparing um, Warehouse Thirteen. Eddie McClintock, what, who does he play? Oh, yeah, yeah. In a Warehouse 13 to Jake Peralta. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but the whole point of Jake Peralta is that A, they call him out on it and B, they give the reasons mm. for it. And they don't really do that with Peter either. It's something I've been Although, getting massively mad about while rewatching Parks and Rec. Andy in seasons one and two particularly is awful. awful. Like I was shouting at the TV at times. Mm. I was so mad about it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Um, Parks and Rec, they change so much. Like this is why Mm. I never watched it is because I watched the first season and I was like, God, it's awful. And he does does evolve, but he's still still kind of an overgrown adolescent for a lot of the way through the show. Um, but, yeah, that's what's really good about Jake Peralta. Although, he, I mean, he does grow. He does. No, he, that's what I mean. They, they mm. With Jake Peralta, they do three things that they don't do normally with these characters. They point it out, they mm. give the reasons, and then they make him grow. Like that oh, episode. No, no, uh, Andy Dwyer I'm talking about as well. Oh. He does grow over the season. Like seasons three and four of Parks it and Rec. It seems like they just kind of retcon him, really. Practically perfect. No, he actually has to, like. He has to, he gets a job and then he gets a house and then yeah. well he learns how to fix his house and then he do, gets better at his job and he learns about being married and he gets a dog like he there is actual 
growth in there. Yeah, but don't they also like make him more like childlike and less childish? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, because Parks and Rec's a comedy and he is excellent at like pratfalls, mm. <laughs> like literally pratfalls are Pratt's forte. No, he I does. think I think probably um, ad-libbing lines there is forte, given that that whole thing where like the best line in the whole show was written by him. The um, when Leslie is sick and he says, "I looked it up on the internet and it says you might have con- connectivity problems." Which that, was, that's not the best line in the whole show, but yes, no, but that's that is what a good the writer ad-lib. says. The guy who created the show says that was the best line in the show, and it was right. ad-libbed by him. Right, like he they love his ad-libs. Yeah, they, he, they love his ad- ad-libs, but they also love his physical comedy, and so they do <laughs> lean into that quite a bit. That's the other thing I've seen is when he jumps over that desk and he knocks out the light. No, he throws the briefcase and he knocks out the light. Yeah, yep, yep. he breaks it. And then when he jumps to the desk and he, he knocks over like an Apple monitor and then he comes back and then throws the briefcase yes. and then knocks the light out. Yeah, but there's, uh, there's heaps of them. Like like there's one where he spends all day in the hospital getting all his various ailments fixed and then walks out of the hospital and like runs, toward, like, runs out of the hospital because he doesn't want to pay his bill and goes bang straight into an ambulance. Like he's really good at stupid physical jokes. Yeah. So, yeah, no, Andy Dwight grows, right, and Jake Peralta grows. We don't, but Jake grows, but also Jake, they, Jake do, do, they, do, they do the do full – because um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the evolution from Parks and Rec, like that's where the Parks and Rec writers went after they did mm. Parks and Rec, it's a more evolved show and it shows mm. in the way Jake has grown and changed throughout the seasons. But, yeah, there was an re- episode recently where he and Amy were going to move in together, right? Yep. And um, and he throws the bet so that he can move in with Amy because he doesn't actually like his apartment. And I was like, that's so much growth from the beginning seasons. Mm. And I think that's really important as a, as a point of difference, especially from Pete Latimer from Warehouse 13, yep. who never grows, ever. And also, he was 40 when he started that show. Yeah. Um, well, this is, yeah. The, this is that other thing, which is also kind of unrelated, but kind of not, where like white people, particularly white men, are sort of considered kids well into white, their mid-30s. White men. White men in particular. But like women as well, depending on – their levels of no, privilege. No, white fact. women are not seen as, as oh, kids into their 30s because it, well, white women. it depends women, on the woman. People like women really highly like, privileged women like the Ivanka Trumps and like Kate Middletons of the world. But that's not really – women are, Women get like into their mid-20s as like – I mean women get that as like not just – we don't ever get seen as kids. It's like you're mm. either sexualized and then you're a mother yeah. or you're invisible. Yeah. Like I don't think that that's – and, I mean, and you're either a young woman or you're a mother. But you're um, – but with men particular – I don't know. The so man-child I, I just, thing is yeah, very yeah. man-child I, yeah. And I, don't, I didn't want to sidetrack into the women thing. But, but yeah, men, particularly white men, get seen as children well into their yeah. 30s. Chris Pratt is like – okay, so I just turned 35 and Chris Pratt is older than me by a few years. Mm. So he would be 38 or 39 or thereabouts. And he's still, like, looked upon as a kid. Yeah. And not necessarily. Like, in real life, I don't think that's true. He's married. He has a kid. He's got a career. Like, I'm not saying he is a kid, but the characters that he plays and the um, type children. that he goes for. Yeah. I th- yeah. But that's partly because he looks so, like, round-faced and young and adorable. There are actually mm. – I can think of black actors that are also playing roles that are very similar, like, who are in well into their 30s and are still playing, like – cute yep. cherubic young but they're not man children in the same way no i think that's a very specific type but like in yep. terms of the like they're playing you know people who are seen as like young and cute and mm. cherubic that there are definitely actors that came into yeah. my head straight well, away and then that's partly a factor i mean look at tessa thompson right and, like, but that's partly a factor of that the casting apparatus is mostly white and they don't understand how differently 
people age depending mm. on whether they're black or Asian or white or like people age differently across different races and, and the casting directors the, assume that, that because you look a certain way, you're the same age as a white person who looks the same way. But they're doing that with Chris Pratt as well. It's, mm. it, I mean, I'm talking about like the round face cherubic look where they're like, yeah. oh, because they look like that, that we cast them as those. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right about like the man child thing, but just got me on a tangent about yeah. the round faced kind of childlike people. Yeah. And, and so, it, I mean, Asian people. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he's kind of perfect to, to do this role in the way that Marvel wants it, which is the sort of round-faced man-child, which is a little bit different from the Peter Quill of the comics, i got to say, but it's the way they want to do it. They want, This is Marvel's kids' property. They know that Iron Man's kind of ageing out and he's been in, around for a while and so they're he kind of – He was never really kids either because even, even if you think of the first mm. movie, it was very – like it was about war. Yeah, and there's um, a lot of Iron Man that's quite adult and so this is very much aimed at, at kids. They yeah. want, This is Marvel's kids' property. It is. Yeah, and I get that, and it does feel like that. The thing is, James Gunn is not kids friendly at all. So I think he's pulling his punches a bit when he does yeah, he's, of that well, stuff. He, yeah, he's kind of trying as hard as he can. Um, there are some very dirty jokes in this as well that I think will fly over yeah, kids' heads, but less less obviously dirty than in the first one, where um, where Quill makes a joke about don't go over his bunk with a Lumalite. You say that, but there's also there's also a scene, you know, the dioramas. There's, mm-hmm. oh. I, I laughed for like five solid minutes after the one of Kurt Russell romancing all the alien species where it's just like full-on 80s Kurt Russell with like a tentacle monster and yeah. like all these other creatures. And there was one, I can't remember what it was. Oh, God, it was, it was really dirty. And I was just in tears laughing at that scene. I think I must have missed that one. It was I was looking at it really closely and I can't remember exactly what it was, but man, like some I think of the I was ones... getting I was actually a little bit bored through that scene because I was oh, like, get see, I was, on with the it. only way that I was getting not bored was just watching those dioramas yeah. really closely and seeing how silly things were. A better option for me, yeah. Which is exactly why like yeah, that scene, you know, that that's what he does is trying to make those scenes more palatable with visual gags. Yeah. Um the first that scene when Groot is dancing and all of the action is happening in the background, like the Zeppo. Mm. I'm full of the Buffy references tonight. It's so funny. It works so well too with Groot being the one. And like that yeah. that moment, like I said, one of the most emotional moments in the whole movie for me is when Rocket stops the fight in the middle of the fight, comes over when Groot is eating like a bug that he shouldn't and gets it out <laughs> of his mouth. And it was so relatable to me. Yeah, <laughs> you've got a new puppy, and I've, I've got a new puppy, and I work with children. I have a two year old cat as well. I've spent a lot of my time saying what are you eating yeah, let me get yeah. this out of there <laughs> yeah like, that's disgusting and goes back and fights yeah and then like yeah. and, and that's that's aimed squarely at people our age the yeah. parents in the audience yeah exactly mm. um i just thought that was really f- and there mm. are going to be a lot of parents going with their kids there were well, a lot of people our age are parents with small children too yeah oh i i'm but we were talking about how it was kids yeah yeah oh yeah there'll be parents who are older than us with kids who are old enough to watch this and there'll also be people nerds our age who are just becoming parents or their friends are all just becoming parents like us yeah um there are a lot of teenagers in when i went to the, the session i went to as well yeah but yeah it's it is a really like kind of all ages property and i get yeah. that but that's why it's weird that they pulled back on Groot so much, mm. so heavily. Yeah, and on Rocket too. Just like they're your hardest worker. Although I get the feeling that Bradley Cooper is not so invested in doing this role because it's just a voice role for him and he's off busy, you know, directing A Star is Born and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. Yep, with Lady Gaga. I know. I just saw the picture for that recently. Yep. Mm. Like I just feel like it was really like confused emotionally mm. and pacing-wise. Like it would go from slow to quick to slow to quick like – emotional to light or, or like schmaltzy to dark which is a really bad combination because you can't do mm. both very effectively 
and and I think some of that goes over people's heads a bit. Yeah. But like, yeah, there's you know, and and the casual killing of a lot of people that like, goes by. Yeah. It, it's it's, it's so it gives oddly. you a bit of like whiplash. Yeah. When you do that. And I would I just felt like the you know it would have actually been fun to see more of the the sovereign and the mm. stuff from the beginning because it goes completely out of people's minds when the rest of the stuff happens. Yeah, and then they come and back at the end out. and you're like, wait, what's going on here? And fleshing out Yondu's backstory takes way too much time. The Sylvester Stallone stuff and, Ugh, oh, he, no. he trafficked in children and all that stuff takes so much time away mm. from the main plot of the movie that could have been given to the supporting characters that aren't Yondu. Yeah. Like Rocket and Groot, who yeah. needed more time. Or even Gamora, like, to really flesh her out give properly her instead some of character moments. she's so nagging wifey in this. Yeah, and give her more of those characters. she's mo- right. Give her more of the character moments, like with the giant gun. Yeah. You know, character moments. That is a character moment <laughs> I know for her. Is. No, the, I think even more than that, like the, the moment when she's convincing Peter to go and talk to him and then she goes, and if he's evil, we'll just kill him. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a character moment. <laughs> um, yeah, so more of that sort of stuff I think yeah. needed. But again, I liked this a lot better. I liked this better than the first one. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to give it the same mark I gave the first one. I don't know if I am. Did I give the first one? What did I give the first one? Do you know? I don't know, but I remember I gave it three and a half. I feel like I might have as well, um, which is what I was because one. and and three and a half is my score for like you know it, it's about average, but it's a little bit better than average, and mm. I enjoyed myself, and it was funny, and it's a good night out kind of score. So I, I know I'm going to mark it the same as the first one, but I probably enjoyed it more. Yeah, that's kind of how I. Feel, I'm, but but I, don't I mean, want neither to. of these movies are perfect though, and I really do not get the way people rave about them. It's not. Yeah, it hasn't. Been I my get experience. it for this one just because it's it's quite. Um, I mean, I, I I can understand that, like, this is a lot different to what we normally see as opposed to the first one, which mm. was less different to what we normally see than I think people realize it was. Yeah. Whereas this one, like, they really kind of – yeah, I did give the first one three and a half. Um, they really kind of tried harder to make different – go different places. And I want to – I feel like I want to reward that, that they mm. really kind of branched out in terms of the storytelling. Um yeah. Even if the ultimate message is the same as the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, <laughs> Family. It is, right? I know. The same message. I, 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 somebody even says in this, because all the way through Fast and Furious, I kept thinking, Ohana means family, and family, family means no- nobody gets I left behind. That. I said that in this movie. Somebody in this movie says, family means nobody gets left behind, or something no, like that. No, no, they don't. Family means I, we leave no one behind. Something yeah, very, that. very similar. Yeah. And I just, yeah. Look. And I, I leaned over to Jamie, I was like, or forgotten. <laughs> exactly the yeah same. yeah it is it's it's the same exactly the same message but um yeah they yeah but you know they they do like weird crazy things mm. and i appreciate that i appreciate that their their message of like found families involves an actually evil crazy planet dad who doesn't get redeemed at all and things like that i mm. uh, even if i thought it could have been done a bit differently like i appreciate that they went there yeah crazy violent sister and the brother who can't keep his mouth shut or has no filter and yeah but even then that's not like the real family in yeah, this yeah the, oh, the, the biological family yeah the biological family yeah that's what i meant the biological yeah. family in this was like no no the biological family is definitely not important you definitely no. don't have and, to and- uh, um, have to obey that because Gamora and Nebula are also not biological family, by the way. No, no, they're adopted, adoptive family. But um, the whole. <laughs> I just remember Drax being like, I thought Yondu was your real dad. And Rocket's like, one of them's blue. Well, but I like that because Drax is an alien. So 
you all you other aliens look alike. That makes sense to me. That made, I thought that was, that was so a, funny. That was like a little sly joke. I thought yeah. that was great. I thought that was great too. I really, really appreciated oh, that. Yeah. Some of the some of the jokes in this land so well. Like it really is really funny. To me, funnier than the first one. Yeah, well because Slyer it doesn't have Yeah, and it doesn't have the some of the humor in the first one was a bit mean. A bit meaner. Yeah. It, it, I, there's less of a mean streak in this one. And, yes, that's also uh, an effect of James Gunn pulling the punches a bit more. So mm. I don't know because this one still was really dark in a lot of it. Like when all the, the pirates died was dark. Dark, but that's not mean. That's dark. I guess. I mean, there's also like – oh, yeah, there's that whore line from the first one. Yeah. Which was a weird line. But- and, and there is the whole bit where Drax is telling – I'm never going to remember her name. Mantis. Mantis. She's got little mantises. How can yeah. I not remember? Anyway, Drax is telling Mantis that she's hideous and yeah, ugly and all that. That was pretty mean, but it was like, yeah, I, but I feel it, the like way that- it was said, sort of, it, you know, it was actually kind of mean, especially given that Drax has no filter and, and only says what he, you know, only tells the truth kind of thing. But it didn't feel as mean as the whore bit. No, because he says to her that, that, um, I actually liked the line that he says after that, which is like, um, it's ugly people. Thing. Like when somebody loves them, then they know they really love them for yeah. them. And beautiful people never know who to trust. I liked that yeah, line. That was a nice exactly. line. It felt nicer. So anyway. It was almost like Drax actually kind of related to her in the idea that like a lot of people find him ugly or something like yeah. that. But it felt to me genuine that he th- thought he was she was hideous. Like because he doesn't understand when Gamora's like, she's not ugly. And he's like, but look at her. <laughs> like it felt, that's yeah, why yeah. it felt to me so real. Because he, oh. he's, his reaction in that moment when Gamora says, but she's, but yeah, you're not ugly. Drax is like, what are you talking about? She's clearly horrendous looking. Yeah. And obviously his standards and there's the the running thing about his standards of beauty and all that kind of stuff have been honed in a very specific world yeah. that means that he thinks that Quill and Yondu look exactly alike. Exactly. And, so, he, yeah. and he makes reference to the fact that he's really attracted to the, his wife. He was really attracted to his wife because she didn't dance. Like, Drax is a bit of a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, like, that, that's what they're, like, they're, they're pl- I don't think they're playing it for, like, you know, sarcasm or anything. I think he genuinely, mm. at the idea of, like, him and Mantis being romantically involved, was like, no, that's the worst thing ever. And Mantis was like, but I don't like you either. Yeah. I'm just nice. Yeah. I would have liked to see Mantis interact, especially with Peter, a little bit more since he's the main character. Yeah, she really doesn't have a lot to do with anyone Almost except Drax. nothing to do with Peter apart from that first scene with him. Yeah. I understand why. Like, Drax has no emotions and she's all emotions yeah. and it works and beautifully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, there is Drax does learn to lie in this one as well because he's like, you don't have to believe in yourself. I believe in you. And then she does it and he's well, like. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I mean. He's learned, not just learned to lie. He's learned to prank people as well. Yeah. yeah. So but I, do, I, think I, that's still, great. I still feel like he was genuine in his whole, like, yeah. your ugly thing. Fair enough. Because of that, or not just, like, he wouldn't have stuck with it in his reaction to Gamora if it was only for show for Mantis, Mm. you know, because it's a reaction shot. It's not him speaking. It's not a line. He just looks at her and he goes, why would you think this is attractive? Mm. This is all horrible. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, I mean, and I thought Pom Clementief did such a good job. She was really good. Um, She's a good addition to the cast. She is. And she sold it really, really well um, and, like, Mm. really got what she was was part of as well. Mm. Like, she slotted in really nicely. Yes. um, Much better than Karen Gillan. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, we've been going on for ages. We should probably wrap this up. Um, um, I've already given my mark, which is three and a half out of five. What are you giving it? I feel like I'm torn between three and a half and four. I'm going to go three and a half because it did have a lot of like issues. Mm. But I appreciate that it's really trying to do something different and mm. pushing the envelope a bit further than the first one. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find the show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. What? That's what the credits reminded me of. You know the um, old Sesame Street, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. ten, eleven. That's all I could think of during the credits because it was the the like I don't know what that like Art Deco seventies kind of look to the whole it's thing. It's not called Art Deco, but that's seventies. I'm look. so bad at these things. Yes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but, you it, know, it, it is. It is quite eighties actually. It's going to fit in nicely with Thor in I think terms of quite, aesthetic. Like I think there's some late seventies in this as well. Like that that turn of the century kind of like turn 70s of the decade. Yeah, yeah, decade. Yeah, undone. yeah. Well, it's it's very much the time in which Peter Quill was yeah. made, um, and and the things that his mother was. Well, into. yeah, that's what I think. It's more like um that that like when he was conceived and then when he was born. Yeah. And the first one is. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I've done the website. So, And if you want to find us on um, social media, we are at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.